Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now, let's dig in. Thanks to a new filing, which is a motion for a protective order dated June 16th, 2023, that was released yesterday in the case of the University of Idaho murders, and that expands on the 19-page affidavit released in January of this year. We now know that the leather K-bar sheath at the crime scene was found face down on a bed next to the bodies of Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonsalves, and partially under Mogan's body and the comforter. Somehow that sheath got away from its owner and ended up face down on the bed, partially under Mogan. By face down, the authorities mean the side of the leather sheath with the K-Bar logo imprinted on it was face down on the bed. Just to clarify, this new motion for a protective order was filed by the Lataw County prosecuting attorney on June 16th, 2023, so just a few days ago, and I believe that this motion for a protective order was prompted by Koberger's defense team, stating that they believe the prosecutors are keeping exculpatory evidence that may exonerate Koberger from them. In this motion for protection, the prosecution asked the court to protect information related to the investigation that was done to determine who the DNA found on the snap of the leather sheath belonged to. The prosecution wants to be sure that the names and personal information of the hundreds of innocent relatives on Brian Koberger's family tree are kept under seal and not disclosed, and that certainly seems like an important step to take. Why should near and distant relatives of Brian Koberger have their names and personal information leaked. We saw what happened to one of Brian's sisters when news of her brother's arrest came out. She lost her job. Pretty sure no one wants any association with Brian Koberger at this point, although he is currently presumed innocent. The new motion details how the DNA connection was made between that leather sheath and defendant Brian Koberger. Now, I'm going to tell you how the whole operation went down chronologically and what tools were used to make the DNA match. It was the Idaho State Police, or ISP, lab in Meridian, Idaho that located the male touch DNA on the leather sheath. The ISP lab determined that the DNA came from a single source, and that source was male. With a sample of that DNA from the sheath, law enforcement conducted what's called a short tandem repeat, or STR, analysis. FYI, STR DNA analysis involves looking at 20 regions within human DNA, and it allows law enforcement to make a direct comparison between two STR DNA profiles. So, at this point, though, the authorities only had the STR DNA profile from the mystery male who left that DNA on the leather sheath. 
Next, law enforcement submitted the STR DNA profile to the Combined DNA Index System database, better known as the CODIS database. CODIS, as you may know, contains STR DNA profiles from convicted offenders, arrestees, and crime scene evidence. The authorities were hoping to get a match, but none was found. At this point, law enforcement decided to use investigative genetic genealogy, otherwise known as IgG, to try and find a potential suspect. Genetic genealogy allows a person to trace his or her lineage or to connect with unknown family members using DNA. So they're talking about services like Ancestry.com and 23andMe, where you can submit a tube of your saliva and find out your genealogy and connect to near and distant relatives who have also submitted their saliva for analysis. I did this and learned that I had ancestors from the Ottoman Empire, which had me totally stoked. I'm not going to lie. So a bunch of relatives of the mystery male whose DNA was on the leather sheath popped up and law enforcement used those relatives to start building the perpetrator's family tree. The Idaho State Police used a private laboratory to develop what's called a single nucleotide polymorphism or SNP profile. Apparently, an SMP profile is different from an STR DNA profile. The SMP profile is more often used for genealogical purposes. The private lab then used that SNP profile to start developing that family tree. However, law enforcement decided at that point to have the FBI step in and take over. So the SMP profile was then sent to the FBI. The FBI then uploaded the SMP profile to one or more of the publicly available genetic genealogy services to try and identify possible family members of the person who left his DNA on the leather sheath. At this point, the FBI began building the perpetrator's family tree. In doing this, the FBI consulted social media, they viewed birth and death certificates, and other information already contained on the public genealogy websites. The FBI ended up creating a family tree that contained the names, birth dates, and death dates of hundreds hundreds of relatives belonging to Brian Koberger. So basically, this is like that show, Who Do You Think You Are? And the Kobergers just got a massive free family tree from the FBI. That may be one of the only positives the Koberger family gets out of this whole tragedy. You gotta look for the silver lining, right? It was at this point that the FBI sent local law enforcement in Moscow, Idaho, a tip to investigate Brian Koberger. Although the FBI's tip pointed law enforcement toward Koberger, it did not provide law enforcement with substantive evidence of guilt, according to the prosecutor's filing. The FBI did not, for example, conduct a direct comparison between the SMP profile from the leather sheath and Brian Koberger's SMP profile. This is why the prosecutor's prosecutors then followed up using that 
strDNA analysis. So using the strDNA profile that the ISP lab had already developed, law enforcement headed out to the Koberger family home in Pennsylvania and secretly recovered trash from their garbage bin. The ISP lab then did an strDNA analysis of items of trash for comparison to the unknown crime scene strDNA profile from the leather sheath. The DNA on the item of the Koberger's trash identified a male who was likely the biological father of the person who left his touch DNA on the sheath. Thus, the DNA on the trash belonged to Brian Koberger's father, Michael, and the DNA on the leather sheath belonged to Michael's one and only male child, Brian Koberger. If Brian had a brother, law enforcement would have had to do some additional DNA testing. Then, law enforcement obtained a search warrant for the Koberger family home and smashed their way inside in the early morning hours of December 30th, 2022. They came upon Brian Koberger standing in the kitchen wearing boxers and some gloves and separating trash into different plastic baggies. I mean, this is like a scene out of a movie. They catch their potential suspect in the act of some very suspicious behavior at a very early hour, and he's wearing his underwear. Wasting no time, law enforcement took a cheek swab from Brian right then and there. The DNA from Koberger's cheek swab was then compared to the DNA profile created from the DNA on the leather sheath. The comparison showed a statistical match. In fact, the DNA was said to be at least 5.37 octillion times more likely to be seen if Brian Koberger was the source than if an unrelated person randomly selected from the general population was the source. For those of you who, like me, are number challenged, an octillion is a number followed by 27 zeros. Bottom line, the DNA match to Brian Koberger is incredibly strong. The newly filed motion also outlines the steps investigators took to protect the data of Koberger's relatives near and far and users of the publicly available genetic genealogy services. For example, investigators did not download or make copies of publicly available records, and they removed Brian Koberger's DNA profile from the service. About this privacy move, the filing says, quote, this means the FBI no longer has access to view much of the information it used to create the family tree and cannot view it again without resubmitting the DNA profile to the Genetic Genealogy Service, end quote. The motion for the protective order also clarifies which information the prosecution wants to keep from being disclosed to Koberger's defense team and which information they are okay sharing with his defense team. At this point in the motion, the prosecution cited Idaho Criminal Rule 16, which governs the exchange of evidence in criminal proceedings between the prosecution and the defense. The motion says Rule 16, quote, contemplates the state 
meaning the prosecution, will provide three discrete categories of information. The first category is any material or information that would tend to negate the guilt of the accused. So that means prosecutors would share any evidence they came upon that indicates that Koberger is not the perpetrator of the crime. The second category of material the prosecution would share with the defense is any documents or objects that are material to the preparation of the defense or belong to Koberger. I believe what this means, again, is that the prosecution will share any documents or objects that it came upon during its investigation that Koberger's lawyers would need to prepare their defense of him. The third category of material that the prosecution will share with the defense is any reports of scientific tests or experiments. The prosecution then wrote in the motion that if the defendant, meaning Koberger, and his defense team believe they should receive information that does not fall into these three categories, then Rule 16 allows them to seek an order from the court for the information when the defense team can show a substantial need for the information for the preparation of Koberger's case. Apparently, Koberger's defense team requested information pertaining to the investigative genetic genealogy or IgG, as it's more simply called, that was used to link Koberger to that leather sheath. And the prosecutors are saying that information falls outside of Rule 16. So the prosecutors do not want to share one raw data related to the SMP profile and the underlying laboratory documentation related to the development of the profile, such as chain of custody forms, laboratory standard operating procedures, analyst notes, and more. They also don't want to share any information related to the investigation, genetic genealogy effort in creating Koberger's family tree and in identifying Koberger's potential relatives. And that information the prosecution wants to keep sealed includes which genetic genealogy services were used and personally identifying information of Koberger's relatives. What the state or prosecution is okay sharing with the defense team are, one, the genotype kit report from the private lab that was used by the Idaho State Police, which documents that a DNA test was performed. Two, information related to the STR DNA analysis that was conducted using the DNA recovered from the K-bar sheath and the DNA recovered from Koberger's family trash. And three, information related to the STR DNA analysis conducted using the DNA recovered from the leather sheath and the DNA recovered from Brian Koberger's cheek swab. The prosecutors further argue in the motion that they should not have to disclose this investigative genetic genealogy information because none of it tends to negate Koberger's guilt, nor does it reduce the potential punishment that Koberger may face if found guilty. I'm going to leave my analysis of this very wordy document there for today. I hope all of this helps. My head hurts from trying to decipher all the legalese. You appreciate my effort. Please smash that like button. Please leave a comment. Please subscribe if you're not yet subscribed. Please ask your friends and family to subscribe, and I'll see you next time on Bed Crime Stories.